So how many sports fans are present in the room today? All right, two of us. That's outstanding. <laughs> One of the things I, I love about sports is the fact that um, at, any, at any time, with any one play that's made, the momentum of the game can shift and ultimately affect the outcome of the game. And, 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 and in terms that are used for that, it's called like a game-changing moment. And one of the, one of the game-changing moments that I love the most happened in Super Bowl 51 uh, when the Patriots uh, were against, played against the Atlanta Falcons. And most of Patriots Nation by halftime were thinking, this is it, it's over. 28 to 3, there's no coming back from that. And then there was this game-changing moment that this picture here captures where Dante Hightower sacks Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, causing a fumble that the Patriots recover in the fourth quarter, and they are able to take that and score and bring it within a one-score game. That was a game-changing moment that ultimately the Patriots come out victorious. Go Pats! And this morning, we're going to see another big game-changing moment when it comes to the church. Uh, one of those moments that could have really impacted this young group of Jesus followers, and either it could have caused a catastrophe, or it could become a catalyst for much bigger things to happen. And so, we, if you are joining us for the first time this morning... Uh, we have been in this, uh, we're in, in a current series called Building Blocks, which is a part of a bigger series where we've been looking at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is basically the story of how God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, took a small group of men and women who, became, who were fascinated followers of Jesus and, and used them to begin to spread the good news or the gospel to everyone that they would encounter. And basically, what this gospel is, is the fact that God, in the person of Jesus, he willingly came, he came in flesh, he lived a sin, sinless life, and then he willingly died on a cross in our place, uh, and, and then three days later, he rose, paying the penalty for our sin, and then also conquering death at the same time, which is amazing. And offering us this opportunity that all we have to do is accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And then we have this opportunity to have this amazing, reconciled relationship with God. And they're taking this good news and they're sharing this with everyone that they encounter. And as a result, tens of thousands of people are coming to a relationship with God, a restored relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And this is spreading all across the known world. And it's crossing even uncrossable lines between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and this is happening even though hundreds of them are being put to death and imprisoned because of their belief in Jesus. And over the past few weeks, what we have seen is the God in the person of the Holy Spirit has now taking these small groups of these these groups, growing groups of Jesus followers, these churches that have been established, and now taking people out of these churches in order to share this good news with other people that have not yet heard it. And we've been following specifically the journey of two men, Paul and Barnabas, 
who the Holy Spirit has led out over hundreds of miles and multiple towns to share the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles, and we've seen thousands of people's response. But not everybody is happy about this. And, and as Dustin was sharing with us last week, they come into a city, and um, people from another couple of other cities came into the city that Paul and Barnabas, and they throw rocks, they stone Paul to the point that they believe that he's dead. They drag him outside the city. And Paul's response to this is he gets up, he kind of dusts himself off, and he walks right back in to the city that he had just been stoned in and continues to share the good news. And not only that, then he doubles down and he goes back into the cities that these people came from and continues to share the good news. And that's kind of where we pick up this morning. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 24. This is page 86 of the Acts Journal. Um, if you don't have one of these, you're welcome to one of these. It, it, there should be a few still left in the seats in front of you. You're welcome to have one and take one. And it says this, Then they, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Persia, Persia, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so, again, what you see is you see Paul and Barnabas kind of making the return trip. And they're going through all of the cities and places that they've been. And they're encouraging all of these people with what God has done. And they're appointing leaders And then they come back to the church that sent them in Antioch. And what's interesting here is this phrase. Um, It it says, for the work they had fulfilled. So basically, when we read before, when this church sent them out, the, the Holy Spirit had told them to set Paul and Barnabas aside for the work that he had called them to. Didn't really define what that was. It wasn't really clear. They just went anyway. And now we see that apparently that was fulfilled. They did everything the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. And and then they get they bring the church together and they share everything. They celebrate all of the stories of what God has done. I love that. We're going to get the opportunity in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's there's a couple, Tim and Alicia Stewart, who we uh, as a church support as missionaries in a place called Nairobi, Kenya, and they're going to be with us in a couple of weeks to share what God is doing in that place. And that's really really exciting to be able to hear what God is doing in other places through the good news of the gospel. And then we pick up Acts 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and and, and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and the elders about the question. So here you have this church in Antioch, which is primarily Gentiles. I mean, non-Jewish people. And most of those, because they've come to Jesus as Gentiles, are not, the males are not circumcised. And you have this group of Jewish Jesus followers who randomly come in and start telling them that unless you are circumcised, unless you are circumcised, you are not saved. You do not have this reconciled, restored relationship with Jesus. 
And if you don't know what circumcision is, my encouragement is not to Google it. (laughs) Ask somebody that you trust. But let me just put it this way. It's a very unpleasant experience for an infant male. It's even super unwelcome for an adult male. So Paul and Barnabas have this heated argument with them, and they can't come to an agreement. So the church decides, hey, we're going to go get this settled in Jerusalem. And at that point, Jerusalem was kind of seen as the center of leadership for the church. The apostles are still there. There's elders that oversee the church. And so they're kind of the church decision makers. And so they're going to go and talk about this issue with them. And I love this next verse because it's one of those that as you read through a section, you can kind of overlook it. This is verse 3. It says this, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Now get this, this is not what they're, like this is not their mission. This is not what they're doing. Like they're on their way to Jerusalem to get this matter settled, but they are just so overjoyed and overflowing that they can't help but share what God has been doing with all of these other believers as they're taking this trip. Like they're just so excited that they just can't help but tell the story of what God is doing. And this made me really pause this week and and, and ask myself this question. Am I as excited about what God is doing in my life and what I see him doing in the lives of others that I don't take time just to stop and share with others what I see him doing? I mean, I can get so caught up in tasks, doing things, that I don't even take time to like reflect or even share a lot of the good things that God is doing. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they get to Jerusalem, and the first thing they do is they start to celebrate with this group of leaders in the church about all they've seen God doing. And then you have this group of, of now they're Jesus followers, but they used to be teachers of the law under, under, under Moses. And they believe that the Gentiles, those coming to Jesus, have to be circumcised, not only circumcised, but they have to follow all the Jewish customs as well. This is more than just like following the Ten Commandments. Like they have to observe the dietary laws. They have to keep the, you know, they have to keep the customs. They have to keep the, uh, the celebrations. Like all of the stuff that we have to do, they too have to do. And it's a requirement for them to even be considered to be reconciled back to God or saved. Because after all, that's what they've had to do, Right? Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So they call in all of the leaders of the church to talk about this. And there was much debate. And so they bring all of these church leaders together to talk about that. And they listen to one another debate this. And, And keep in mind the makeup of this group of people. I mean, we know that the church in Jerusalem was primarily consisted of either Jewish people or People before they came to Jesus who had converted to Judaism, which meant that they would have been circumcised. 
So the decision makers in this room, the ones who are talking about this, are all people who had already made the decision to be circumcised and to follow the Jewish customs. Keep that in mind, that's significant. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. And so what Peter's doing here is he's reminding the elders, he's reminding the apostles of what God had done. We studied this several weeks ago where God had called Peter to go to a Gentile, a Roman soldier, and his household, and share the gospel with them. And Peter witnesses the response, the fact that as Peter is sharing this good news about Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit comes on that household, and they are saved. And Peter's like, they didn't make, he, like when that happened, there was no distinction made. There wasn't like the Holy Spirit said, okay, now that you've done this, you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to follow the customs. Like, this has happened already. Now, therefore, Peter goes on, now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, we can't live under these customs as it is. Why are we putting this on the Gentile believers? But we believe, this is so key, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. In other words, you are saved by God's grace alone. I love this next, this next phrase. And all, of the assembly, all the assembly fell silent. Like it's kind of like one of those drop the mic moments. Boom. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas get up and they basically restate exactly what Peter has, like Peter's experience with Cornelius. Like Paul and, P Paul and Barnabas are like, yeah, we've had the same kind of experience. Like there's never been like this add-on thing that we have to go through circumcision. We have to follow the customs. And after they finished speaking, James, and James here is not the brother of John. He's been killed earlier, and so this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And apparently, he's like the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. So James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, and this is another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as this is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. At the moment of, man, the moment of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from old. And so what James does here is James basically says, yeah, we have this experience from Peter and Paul and Barnabas, but let's see what Scripture says about this. And so he, said, he goes back to the Old Testament and says, yeah, this aligns with what we read in Scripture as well. It's not just about your experience, but does this line up with Scripture? And that's what James does here. He says, then, then he says this, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them 
to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood for the ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. And we're going to talk about this last part here in just a minute. But this is a game-changing moment for the church. And it's a game-changing moment for two reasons. The first is this. That if this had gone differently, this would have caused a split in the church. And it would have become a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church. And the momentum of this movement of Jesus followers that has been explosive would have, at a minimum, would have been slowed, but most likely would have been stopped altogether. And from the Gentile perspective, if the decision had been made for circumcision to be required in order to be reconciled with God, in other words, that's required for salvation, can you imagine what that would be like? For the Gentiles, I mean, just bring it into today's context. Like, okay, guys, um, at new here today, which is right after the service, we're going to talk about the fact that, hey, to be a part of, of Jesus's family, um, there's this little thing you have to go through called circumcision. Like, as we design our churches, we would have to have circumcision rooms. I mean, how much, boy, that's, a, that's an attractor, right? Who's signing up for that? But on the other side of this, from the Jewish people's perspective, I mean, they had been, they had been brought up with, you know, with all of these like, guidelines and customs and rules, and, 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 and if they had just basically said, okay, you can have salvation by Jesus alone, but we're not going to associate with anybody who hasn't been circumcised or who doesn't follow the kosher rules. Like, we're just not going to have it. Because know this, the Gentiles are not going to voluntarily get circumcised. It's just not going to happen. And as a consequence, the one thing that Jesus prayed for, for his church, which is that we would be unified, like that would have been gone out the window. And, and as a result, the testimony that unity brings about what the message of the, and the power of the gospel is would also have been gone. But the second thing, and the more important part of this, is the fact that this would have, had this decision been made to say, it's Jesus and circumcision and following the customs of Moses in order to be reconciled back with God, like that would have completely distorted the message of the gospel. And here's why. What Jesus did on the cross would no longer be enough. There would be, there would be something that we would have to do ourselves. If circumcision was necessary and, and following the Mosaic laws were necessary to be made right with God. It is no longer just about what he has done for us, but what we have to do as well, that there is something that we can do to earn God's favor. And then it's no longer grace. It's no longer faith alone in Jesus alone. It's faith plus works which is not the message of the gospel. Paul puts it this way in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, in other words, when Jesus came, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, there's nothing that we can do 
nothing that we are able to do to gain some kind of a right standing with a holy God, but according to his own mercy. This is God's action. This is what God has done. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he appointed, who, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, in other words, that idea of justification, justified means being made right with God, putting back in right standing, like sin has been taken care of and now we're back in right standing. We are justified, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And what Paul is saying here is God is the only one that can do that. And God alone. He's provided the only way to salvation. And it's all things that he has done, nothing that we can do to earn it. And, and, and while we're super, like, really grateful for this outcome, and, and even, like, today to talk about this, it's like, well, of course, like, circumcision isn't a thing now. Like, it's not required. We know this. Let me just say this, we still have these little things that happen in the church today that try to add something to the message of the gospel that's just as dangerous as this decision was. We still try to add sometimes to the message of the gospel. There are still some traditions, and maybe you've been a part of these. There are still some, still some faith traditions that tell you it isn't faith alone in Jesus alone, but there's faith plus your works that save you, that reconcile you back to God. It, it, it goes something like this. If you commit certain sins, you cannot be saved. Or if you don't give to the church, you cannot be saved. Or if you don't stay within a particular church, you cannot be saved. Or if you don't abide by the traditions of the church, you cannot be saved. Hear me, that is a... That is a Jesus, that is a faith plus gospel that is not the gospel. There, there is another more subtle way that we do this ourselves. Like this is something, the first one is really something that some faith traditions put on, but this is something that we come ourselves and that's this. It's the idea or notion that we have to get ourselves right with God before we can come to God. That's a, that's a faith plus gospel. That somehow you need to clean yourself up. That you need to get your act together before you can come to God. Oftentimes that's a barrier for people to come into a relationship with Jesus because they figure I have to get this part of my life worked out before I can even come to God. And, and that misses the point of what God does. You see, God has already done that through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Like he's offered that sacrifice for our sin. He offers this freely to us, so all we have to do is accept. And then, once you've been made right with God, once you've been reconciled with God, in other words, the word that Paul uses, once we've been justified with God, then God gives us the Holy Spirit to begin to work on that process of, of making us more like Jesus. The fancy word for that is sanctification. But here's the problem. When we get that process ahead of the justification, in other words, when we move sanctification before justification, or we try to clean ourselves up or make ourselves right with God, then we've got it backwards, and we put a barrier up between us and God. And God came to break 
down the biggest barrier between us and him, and that's sin. Like he did that through the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Why then do we continually try to put barriers up between us and him? Why would we do that? When he offers us this amazing opportunity for a restored relationship with him, and all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus alone. And, and, and the cool thing about this is God's not just concerned about our relationship with him. I mean, that's his first concern is that we have this restored relationship with him. But we see in this passage that God is also concerned about our relationships with one another. You see how these four weird things that are in this letter and you're like, what on earth is this talking about? Like, why is it that we can't, like, why is he instructing them with these four things? And, and just to make it clear, these are not like these are not like qualifications. These are not requirements to have this reconciled relationship with God. This is something that comes after that. This is like because you've said yes to Jesus, because you've been restored to God. Like this is the thing we want you to like abstain from. And and these four different things, which all have something in, in common with one another. You know, this idea of, of food sacrifice to idols. This idea of of sexual immorality. This idea of of eating animals that have been strangled or this idea of, of eating blood, like all of these four things would have been associated with temple, like cultish temple worship at that point in time. And, and so the, the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ, that may have been part of their tradition and history, like what they, what they did, how they like sacrificed and worshiped to their gods at that point. And so what, what, what uh, James is writing is, you know, put that aside, abstain from that, and here's why. Because your Jewish brothers and sisters in Jesus now, they have forever, and that's what he says there at the, at the end when he's talking about the fact that, you know, with the law, you know, they, and the customs and laws of Moses have been taught in the synagogues for, 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 from the beginning. So the Jewish people have always been raised with this, and so for them, you know, to, to associate with any of that stuff or to participate in anything would have been a violation of, like, their conscience. Like, they would have felt guilty for this if they would have participated in any of those things or been a part of that. So, so picture it this way. This is the, the, the easiest way I can get us to understand what it would have been like for them there. It would have been as if a Gentile family would have invited a Jewish family over to their home to share a meal together. Which, by the way, in that culture, to share a meal together was the most intimate thing that you could do outside of a sexual relationship. Okay? It's very, very intimate for, for you to share a meal with one another. And so, for a Jewish family, or for a Gentile family, a Jewish family to come over, and what's on the menu? Oh, just what we picked up from the local temple that had just been sacrificed. And if that happened, and then the, the Jewish people are like, well, you know, we can't eat that. Like, we still have this, like, thing that we've been taught since we were young that we can't participate in that. And so for us to do that would, like, we can't get our head. We would feel guilty for that. And so ultimately what would happen, if you trace that back, would be, like, Jews would just stop eating with Gentiles because they don't know where the food came from. And there you have some divisions in the church. You see, God is, God is concerned not just about the barriers that we artificially put between us and him. He's also concerned with the barriers that we put between one another. 
the barriers that we keep engaging in and putting up, and, and, and they look different today. You know, they're not necessarily associated with dietary laws, but they may be, you know, we may not want to connect with somebody who thinks differently than we do, or we may not want to connect with somebody who votes differently than we do, or we may want to not connect with somebody who does certain things that we don't do. God wants to break down those barriers. It goes on, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. So they come to this agreement with each other. They all agree with what James has said. With the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They send Judas, who is called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are at are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with the words unsettling in your mind, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of their mouth, for it has, seemed good to, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. This is really, really cool because this is probably the first epistle that's ever, like, we actually have record of that's actually been sent out to the church. An epistle is basically a fancy word for elders. It's the same that we see with the letters that, that Paul writes in Corinthians and Thessalonians. It's the same kind of idea, a letter that was written that goes out to the churches to be shared, and that's what this is. This, this letter will end up going to a bunch of different churches to clarify this issue, to break down these barriers. Verse 30, so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. First place they go, they go back to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Now, picture this for a moment. Again, this is one of those places where you can just kind of read, like, read through it and miss it. Like, the, the, the Gentile males, specifically, who are in Antioch have been waiting all this time. Like, they're, it's not like you get live updates on your phone of what's being happened in Jerusalem. Like they're waiting for this decision, probably like literally on pins and needles, waiting for this decision. And of course, when it comes down that they don't have to be circumcised, what is their response going to be? They're going to rejoice, right? And that's really, really good news. And Judas and Silas, who were with, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had, had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I mean, this is a game-changing moment in the church. And, and I love the fact that we serve a God, we love a God, who is continuing to break down barriers. 
He's broken down the ultimate barrier between us and him and sin. He, he continues to just break down barriers between us. And, he, he breaks down barriers between us and others. You know, we have to get out of this us and them mindset, you know, when it comes to the church. Like, God is breaking down barriers. Why would we continue to put barriers up? And my question that I really want us to wrestle with, like, this week as we move forward, as we lean into this message is just asking ourselves, like, what barriers am I putting up between myself and God? Like, what is keeping me from making a decision to follow Jesus? Like, do I feel like I've got to, like, get it all right? Like, I have to have all the right answers. Like, what is it that's keeping you to having a restored relationship with God? Like, what is it? What is it in your own mind that is continuing to keep you from this idea that you have been redeemed by God if you've made that decision? Like, what is it that you keep putting up between yourself and God? And then the other question is, what is it that you continue to put your, between yourself and others? Like, why are you keeping this person at arm's length? Or why don't you engage with this person? Is it something that as far as it depends on you, that you need to live with peace with that person? God is a God who breaks down barriers and restores us to himself and to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you are the one who breaks down barriers. And Father, thank you for restoring um, us to you, for allowing us that opportunity. And Father, I just pray that that this week, Lord, that for each one of us that have heard this, that, Father, you continue to open our eyes to the places that we continue to put our own barriers in between us and you and us and others. And I pray, Father, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would continue to move us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.